Fox and Fallon, episode 14. We are back. We got a full slate for you this week. NBA, NFL, Stanley Cup Finals. Top headlines is going to be fast, hard-hitting. Tanya, I hope you're ready. I'm ready as hell. All right, first things first, hitting the state of the Lakers. Has Magic Johnson turned heel? For those of you who don't know what heel means, bad guy. Got to Yeah, I mean, our wrestling fans are in on it. You well, know, that, I, I, my mom didn't let me watch wrestling <laughs> as a kid. You know, my mom actually got to watch wrestling a lot in the 80s and 90s with my dad, so she knows all about it. I know she's I know she's nailing it right now. Stone Cold Steve Austin was very big when we were in middle school. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so it was in Stone Cold 315 or whatever. Right, no, 316. Yeah. Is that is that a Bible verse? I don't know, but all I remember is he was the best, and I and I love him, and he's my pinned tweet because he's just the man. And then and then Ric Flair, of course, that's like the throwback. I yeah. didn't know about Ric Flair until college, yeah. but it was like, do you smell what the rock is cooking? No, Ric Flair was no uh, the yeah, Nature no. Boy. Woo! Yeah, but like I didn't really know about Ric Flair until yeah. like I. Until The Rock and John Cena got big, and like we learned that he was like their inspo or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he was. He was like the OG. So Magic may or may not have turned heel. What yep. else we got? Then we move on to the NFL offseason. Time to much more exciting than we're used to. All thanks to the New York Jets. Classic Jets. Classic Jets. Dumpster fire. We've got a Stanley Cup final. Bruins and Blues, and we're gonna tell you why this Stanley Cup final between Boston and St. Louis is more historic than you realize. Absolutely. We've got some stats to throw you guys that it's going to blow your minds. And then finally, we're going to do a celebrity super fan edition of Would You Rather in honor of Drake, the true king of the north. True king of the north indeed. But before we get there, we have to go back down south to Los Angeles, good old SoCal, and our boy Magic Johnson, who went on and caused an absolute scene this week during an appearance on First Take. Now, this was a planned appearance. It had been in the works for a week. It wasn't impromptu. Like, this was coming. And he finally started talking. For the first time in his life, maybe, he finally gave us something, some really juicy information on what's been going on behind the scenes. And essentially, he came out and said point blank that GM Rob Palenka was really the catalyst for all the issues that he had this year and what sort of led to his falling out with the front office and deciding to quit. He said, if you're going to talk about betrayal, it's only with Rob. But again, I had to look inside myself. I'd been doing that for months because I didn't like that Tim Harris was too involved in basketball. Jeannie's got to stop that. You've got to stop people from having those voices. So essentially what he was saying was that he wished that Jeannie, his girl, would have drowned out all the noise and listened to him and given him the voice above everybody else. And people were pretty stunned that he actually, I mean, the, the tensions we knew were there, but it was sort of crazy to hear him say it. Well, here's my first question. Of course, he goes to his boy, Stephen A. How much of this appearance was like behind the scenes, him talking to Stephen A, and Stephen A was like, yo, I want you to say something explosive to make some headlines. Well, I think that- like, That think was my first, when I saw like all those explosive comments, I'm like, for sure this was staged to the point of like media manipulation. You really think so? Oh, I mean, like I, I had a hunch because that's what Stephen A does. I love Stephen A, love him, love him. But honestly, Tanya, the question right now, like, who do we believe? Magic Johnson, the legend, and Jeannie Buss, or like Kobe Bryant's slimy agent? You almost think you have to believe both sides. Yeah, you kind of do, because the way that Magic's handled him this, himself this year, as as beloved as he is, he just simply was not, he was not good in that role. He wasn't as invested as he's supposed to be. Across the league, that role is way more expensive than he took on. He very obviously kind of did what he wanted and left everybody else in the front office to deal with 
you know, figuring out what to do around him. And I understand how that could be frustrating for somebody like Rob Palenka, who was an agent for a long time, is new in this role, is still yeah. finding his footing. And I mean, these are two egos. And you're just, I think somebody like Rob Palenka, who has his own ego and is trying to find his own way into the organization in a much higher role, came up against a, an absolute brick wall. Like, you don't, oh, no one has more in reason to feel entitled to do whatever they want than Magic Johnson. Well, of course. Like, Magic clearly was in this role, and he was, like, living the legend life. He wanted to be a mascot, he wanted to be a recruiter, and he wanted to do whatever he wanted. And he is entitled to that. He is Magic Johnson. He is Mr. Laker. No shade to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Of course. No, no, never. But, I mean, Magic... His charisma and his his magnetism is something on a different level. He's once in a lifetime, for sure. The second layer to this, Tanya, because there's, like, multiple layers. Like, this whole, like, Magic Johnson, Lakers debacle, you open the headlines and every single one is different with a new storyline. Yeah. It's about why someone has been shaded, why someone's upset, this and that. Like, total media warfare. Sure. Like, throwing bombs. The second layer to this is, the, like... What happened to LeBron now? Like, he basically came out and said in the same interview that he doesn't regret leaving LeBron in the dark about his Lakers exit. But, like, my thought to that is, holy shit, someone finally put LeBron in his place. We've been on this podcast for, like, two and a half months. We've been talking all about how LeBron has all the power, how it's all in his hands. All of a sudden, LeBron looks like the ultimate victim in the situation. Yeah, he actually did LeBron a huge favor by leaving him out of the loop and sort of making him a victim of the dysfunction of that front office and the organization. Jeannie has no idea what she's doing, and she's very hesitant to bring in outside help. She hires a coach who's like their ninth choice. The GM and, and Magic don't get along. Like this is a The power structure is insane. They've got... Sh- the Rambus family, the Rambi, as these like shadow owners who are making massive decisions in roles that don't normally allow them to. Yeah. So now LeBron, he's stepping back. He's at the press conference, just shooting hoops, being quiet, not saying anything. I, I and love it's made that. By him, the way. It's made him. It's made him appear vulnerable, and we can almost feel bad for him because who, who, what kind of star, regardless of, regardless of having the kind of power that LeBron has could function in that kind of system. And now we look at it and we're like, dang, LeBron, you really did need a vacay, bro. Well, I mean, I completely agree with everything you said, including the fact that you said this is the best thing that could happen to LeBron because it shuts his ego down. All of a sudden it's like, okay, now I have to be quiet. Now I'm, now I'm upset. This is the best thing for LeBron to like sit down and actually focus about how he's going to rebuild a team where apparently no free agents are going to want to come, build chemistry with, like, I know you said, like, their ninth choice as head coach, but Frank Vogel is an excellent head coach. He's not slim pickings. He's going to rebuild this team really as one of the only basketball masterminds in that organization, and LeBron's going to have to respect him. And LeBron is also going to have to figure out a way, again, to get free agents to Los Angeles. But to be honest, Tanya... The Clippers are the more desirable location. Yeah, absolutely. I think right now, the word on the street from a lot of people, um, you know, Kevin Durant is now kind of starting to get rumored to go to the Clippers. Kendrick Perkins suggested that on air on FS1 this week. Um, They have an exceptional owner, one of the richest owners in sports. They have... And he's a total fan guy. Like, he's there rooting them, like, screaming. I love Steve Ballmer. They have Jerry West running the team. Yeah. They have one of the best 
coaches in the NBA in Doc Rivers. They have excellent young players who are not getting, I mean, none of these guys are max deal guys. Yeah. So they have all the room in the world to bring in some top talent. And you look at the way that they're run, and then you look across town or across the stadium at the Lakers and just the full-on insurrection that's going on. And you think, if you're Kevin Durant or Kawhi or Kyrie or any other K name that may or <laughs> Kemba Walker. <laughs> Kendrick Perkins, if he came back to the league. <laughs> if he decides to unretire. All the K names. If you're any of those free agents. Oh, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Good right? one. Good one. Any of these guys. You, I mean, who would rather, honestly, who would rather play for Frank Vogel and 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 Rob Polenka right now than what they've got going on in, on the Clippers, unless you just really want to wear purple and gold? I don't know. The one decision for any free agent to go to the Clippers, Doc Rivers. That was a guy in Boston. It was one of those things, okay, you had to do a changing of the guard, kind of like Terry Francona in baseball. Francona gave the Red Sox two World Series, leaves, and he continues to be one of the best managers in baseball. He's got the tools. It's the same thing with Doc Rivers. Like, he's an excellent coach. And if I were a basketball player, I would want to play for that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Another layer on the onion. We're we'll going call, deeper. We'll, we're now at the we're now at the the uh, caramel in the seven layer bar. I, 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 <laughs> we're under the coconut and the cookie crumbs, and now we're at the caramel. This is like layer four or five. Yeah. Pat Riley, who is one of the greatest coaches of all time, greatest front office executive, the Godfather, the architect, as they call him in Miami, interviewed by the legend Jackie McMullen for the Boston Globe, and he said. He was thinking a lot recently about going back to the Lakers for sentimental reasons, just given everything that's going on there. But they never asked him. And he's really sad. I mean, I don't know how sad he is, but he certainly did seem a little bit wistful. Um, well, I mean, I but mean, like for he, him... To, he for, can't possibly be looking at that situation and wishing he was there. But I think for us, as people who can see the possibilities there, yeah, it's hard to imagine that they have LeBron James on their team and they have this legendary former Laker just waiting in the wings, and they don't even, like, have a phone call? Well, I, I kind of compare I compare this to, like, Bill Belichick. The rumors of Bill Belichick wanting to go back to the Browns, and it was like, what the hell are you talking about? Or, like, going back to the Giants. It's like, clearly they're not going to do it. They're so far down the road in their career that they're going to stay with the team that they're with. Belichick's going to stay with the Patriots. Pat Riley's going to stay with the Heat. He's, what, 71, 72? But it, it's, it's worth a thought. It's weird that they didn't talk about it. I think maybe part of the problem is that Magic Johnson is spending most of his time really crafting some truly wonderful tweets. Dude, he might, he might replace... He's replacing some of my favorite Twitter accounts. Not Bill Walton. The fake Bill Walton. Faux John Gruden. Can't forget about him. And Captain Andrew Luck. Yes, where he talks like a Civil War veteran because that's what everybody thinks he looks like, which is very funny. The letters are funny. Anyways... Magic Johnson on Twitter is a caricature of himself. And it's actually Magic Johnson tweeting this. So my friend Rob Snyder from um, NBC Sports Boston, he's a producer there. And he tweeted that Magic Johnson's tweets read like our old AIM away messages. You know those ones where you just like... I saw this tweet (laughs) and I was in tears. It's so funny. No, it's it's so so true though. It's so accurate. I pulled up a couple of his like most recent tweets and here, like, an actual tweet that he sent out a couple days ago. Get in my skinny pop popcorn ready for Milwaukee versus Toronto. 
I think I'm going to go with sea salt and pepper. Well, I mean, why not ha spicy jalapeno? Bro. Why not cheesy popcorn? That's like what people used to tweet in 2009, like back in the day when it just like launched and you were like, what do I do on here? Yeah. Well, you guys want to know what I'm doing? Get your popcorn ready. Yeah. He's like, and then, so then the next day he's clearly, so he's watching the, the Eastern Conference finals and he says, he watches a lot of basketball. The Bucks' explosive offense has been missing the last two games. That's why this series is tied at 2-2. Oh, shit. That's why Whoa. it... Bro, stop dropping that heat on me in the middle of Twitter. Like, excuse me, I can't believe I just read that in a tweet when I'd already been alerted to the fact that the series was tied 2-2 by Bleacher Report, ESPN, CBS Sports, and all the other things that alert me on my phone way before you fired off this tweet, bro. But, like, he's totally Captain Obvious. Oh, totally. Because this tweet... Oh, my God, I love this one. From May 6th, Kevin Durant versus James Harden reminds me of some of the legendary player matchups like Michael versus Isaiah, Michael versus Clyde, Michael versus Reggie Miller, <laughs> Kobe versus Allen Iverson, Shaq versus Duncan. <laughs> he goes on. Can't forget about matchups like Larry Bird versus Dr. J, Larry versus Dominique Wilkins, Larry versus Charles Barkley. Charles versus Carl Malone, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar versus Shaq, Kareem Olajuwon versus David Robinson. Classics. Like, what? This could literally be an episode of like greatest hits throwback on HBO. Also, Courtney, can you I just gave us the. You literally just like gave us the entire show rundown. Can I just point out? He put Larry Bird versus everybody but himself. Like, wow, I didn't even realize that. Like the greatest, one of the greatest, like friendships and rivalries of all time. I, they have they wrote a book about it. No one fucking writes a book about Larry Bird versus Dr. J. Dude, dude. I actually I think I read that book from Jack and McMullen. Oh, for sure, it's one of the greats. It's, it's an incredible movie, book, but like it, that it, I just I wow love that. wow I love that he's stay, the best. He's, stay woke moment oh that God. he disincluded himself. <laughs> like the most obvious greatest matchup of all time, <sighs> Magic Johnson. Keep tweeting. Please, please, for the, do it for the folks. Please, for the love of God. Moving on to a little NFL offseason roundup. Lots to talk about. I like talking about football in the spring. I it's mean, it's crazy. It's actually been a lot crazier than normal, I think. We'll start with Ben Roethlisberger sitting down with a local Pittsburgh sports anchor. Props to this guy. I think it was CBS. He comes to his house and gets the national exclusive. Love the local news, guys. In this interview, Big Ben apologized, put his big boy pants on, said he's sorry to Antonio Brown, said I took some heat and deservedly so for some of the comments on that show, especially towards him. I genuinely feel bad about that and I'm sorry. Did I go too far after that Denver game? Probably. And then he continued saying, that's the thing about the media and social media. As soon as you say sorry, it only goes so far. You can't take it back. I wish I could because if that's what ruined our friendship and relationship, I'm truly, genuinely sorry. So he said he was sorry like three times in the quote. Antonio Brown wants nothing of his apology. Not only does he want nothing of it, right after that, probably within an hour or two after that quote came out, tweets out the words two-face, which is an obvious response yeah. to this. It's vague. It's weird and passive-aggressive. And again, it's like, dude... There's all, you guys are not obviously never going to be best friends, but you can't be the guy who can't accept an apology. Is anyone surprised by his response? No, but it's still like really annoying because there is a part of it that's like, 
here's like Ben Roethlisberger, who no one thinks is like man of the year. Okay, like I'm not this apology doesn't make me think he's like some great dude, but it doesn't make me think he's seriously considering the fact that last year the the fracture in their locker room and their issues between each other cost them a playoff run. I mean, and there he's was a- realizing that, and he's taking the steps to basically this apology is less for Antonio Brown and more for his current teammates. And if Antonio Brown had half the sense that Ben Roethlisberger clearly has, he'd understand that accepting that graciously says volumes to his new teammate. Well, I'm A, not surprised at all, again, about his response. That's the way that Antonio Brown is. He's not going to change. He's immature. But let's all remind ourselves, the combusting of the Steelers late in the season was not just Big Ben. It was Mike Tomlin, too. It was that triangle between Antonio Brown... Ben Roethlisberger, and their head coach, Mike Tomlin. They, it's like the, the triangle. So, like, I mean, obviously it fell on deaf ears, and no one's surprised. Well, and also, I mean, you know, part of this story that's, again, another sort of layer to it is the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster, Ramon Foster, a couple of these guys have come out this week and said, like, this team's closer than we've ever been. We're on the same page. Ben's taken his skill players up to the lake house. They're bonding They're doing the kind of stuff that we see. We actually saw a lot of this from Tom Brady um, last year, you know, when he came back and they were doing team bonding stuff and going to Red Sox games and all that after they had a little bit of a rough offseason. This is what you need to do. You need to, like, kind of pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Listen, the AFC North right now is the Steelers to lose, and they know that. The Browns are still an up-and-coming team, and they're an unknown. The Bengals are an absolute disaster with a brand-new coach. And the Ravens have a new, an entirely new offensive system that they're trying to implement with a brand new quarterback. So they know that this is their chance to come out of the out of the division, and he's doing everything he can. We've never seen Big Ben like this. Well, I like this Big Ben. Maybe this means that the Patriots-Steelers rivalry will mean something this year. Moving on to another team that just can't seem to get out of their own way. Adam Gase finally addressed the reports that he did not want the Jets to sign Le'Veon Bell. Someone finally got him on the record saying... The contract was what it was. Everybody can criticize the contract all you want, but he's here. I'm excited he's here. When you get a chance to coach a great player, I'm excited for that opportunity. And then another smart reporter asked him, did the Jets overpay? Point blank. And he said no. And then they asked about the idea that Le'Veon could be traded because that's been out there. Rumors that maybe he would try to unload that contract onto another team. And he said that's ridiculous and reiterated it's not going to happen. So... Finally, we got this head coach, regardless of how he's felt behind the scenes, to say on the record, I don't consider trading him. It is what it is. We're moving forward. And in response to that, (laughs) Le'Veon Bell showed his his solidarity with his coach. And he said, yep, let's get it, coach. And he he said that right on Twitter. He put it out for all to see. Like, he's he's towing the company line. And it's kind of wild because in the midst of all this insanity, it's like, okay, well, are we moving forward? What's going on? Well, I also heard a rumor that Le'Veon Bell has to have his social media posts <laughs> yeah, this is approved weird. by his head coach. Tanya, when I heard that, the first thing that came to my head was, when is Mike Tannenbaum getting rehired by the Jets? <laughs> they, they can, Adam Gase cannot run the show like this. No. Like, literally, is, he, is Tannenbaum going to be hired tomorrow or next week? Because I don't give this authoritarian attitude of Gase running I mean that's like some college shit right there you know like controlling a grown man it's not gonna last no and I don't think and I know to Adam Gase's credit he has said like 
the manager, the G, he doesn't want the GM position. He expects that the Johnson family will hire a manager. Like yeah, he's, but he's still he's, not he's trying still... to. I think he understands to whatever degree he can understand that the team is going to hire somebody to step into that role. He is, you know, saying what he needs to say publicly, which is, you know, it's not my decision to make. Of course, he's going to have a hand in the decision behind the scenes. We will see who it ends up being. You know, the longer they go without a GM, the weirder this season's going to get, which makes me think, you know, they if we're going to go in Jets time, they'll probably hire a GM like August 49th. So, you know, this is like, that's how this is going to go. But in the meantime, yeah, it's it's going to be a weird long offseason of these like bizarre press conferences. Well, my prediction for this is Adam Gase is going to keep pushing the limits of what's acceptable and what's right. Until the levy breaks. Like, he's going to do something. The levy on? Oh. Hey, hey, hey. Back at it. Oh. Wordplay. Brush my shoulder (laughs) off. Didn't even intend it, bro. Anyways, he really is going to, like, the only time that they're going to hire a GM is when he pushes the limits, pisses someone off to no extent. Because you know that the tension is still boiling behind the scenes there. Like, regardless of if Adam Gates is going to come out and say, oh, everything is fine. Clearly it's not fine, and clearly they're still beefing it out behind closed doors. Something bad is is in the works for the Jets. So I, that, that's all. I I see with my tea leaves and my crystal ball, there's going to be major dysfunction coming. And to that I say, what the fuck else is new? <laughs> and the last topic on our NFL roundup, Chris Long, who recently retired, excellent career Got himself a lot of media buzz recently after admitting to marijuana use throughout his career. And he says that the marijuana tests are really easy to get around. Your yeah, dogs. he basically explained how to do it. <laughs> he like gave everybody like a step-by-step. He's like, here you go how you do it. This is how I smoked weed for a decade and basically never got in trouble for it. And the crazy part is, like, you know, Chris Long's one of the most respected NFL players in the league. Beyond. Um, Beyond he's, respect. He's an ally. He's an uh, outspoken voice. He's NFL royalty, um, and you know, Man, and, in a lot of ways, it unfortunately it was going to take a guy like Chris Long coming out and saying this in order to really start the conversation full throttle. Um, I, you know, I referred to it today earlier as he's kind of like the Great White Hope, and I, you know, I know that he would even he wouldn't even disagree with me on that. I mean, in a lot of ways, he is the mouthpiece for p- other people who aren't allowed to say these things in the same way that he is. And I hope that this is going to be able to open up the conversation for black players and for other like incredibly like respected and accomplished guys to come out and be able to say this, not even after they retire, but while they're playing. Honestly, Tanya, you nailed it. There is no one better to set an example and to start this conversation than someone who has donated his entire salary to charity started a foundation bringing water to Africa, like, and hopefully down the line from his example, you don't have to be NFL man of the year to be able to come out and say you smoke marijuana to ease the pain of CTE or concussions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, you know, that's, that's the one little message I hope that people get from this is that like, yes, Chris Long deserves to be able to come out and say this and he's earned that space, but I don't, we don't want to set the example that you have to be some like incredible, you know, have this story arc when you retire in order to be honest about this. Like yeah. some, you know, some guys, not everybody can be Walter Payton man of the year. Not everybody can have these, you know, these opportunities and not everybody was brought up in an NFL family and has this kind of 
benefit of the doubt given to them. And it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to be honest about how they manage their pain. Well, I also think too, Chris Long is one of those guys that's like, no nonsense. He's the, he just, he says things and he doesn't care and he says it with confidence. And because he's so respected, his message gets out. Yeah. And, and that will enable other people in the future. So kudos to him. And hopefully yeah. this is a snowball effect and we see more of this in the future. For sure. All right, Courtney, we are on to the Stanley Cup Finals. Finally, I can't wait to talk about this. This is absolutely crazy. Bruins bandwagon fan number one over here. Go. She's waving her little flag. She's got her little Tukarask jersey. She's ready to go. But no, for real, this is actually like a pretty incredible series. You know, the St. Louis Blues were an expansion team way back in the day, but they've been around for a while. And this is a historic matchup. I don't think a lot of people realize this if they're casual fans. I know real hockey fans know this, so please don't think I'm talking down to you. But the St. Louis Blues and the Boston Bruins met in the Stanley Cup in 1970. It was the last time that the St. Louis Blues were in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yes. And I think even the casual sports fan will remember the most iconic moment from that series because, Courtney, yes, they won that cup Four games to nothing, yeah. and the game-winning goal to seal the entire championship was the Bobby Orr flying in the air goal that everybody had seen the photo of. That is the enduring picture that Blues fans have been living with for 49 years. There is a bronze statue of Bobby Orr leaping outside of the garden. Yes. I mean, there is there is no iconic picture in hockey, I would say. In, in More than, like, yeah. period. It's, I mean, in sports, it's it's one of the most iconic photos of in of all time in sports, which is, you know, it's wild because it is hockey. But, I mean, even people who don't like sports are like, oh, yeah, I've seen that photo. Of course. It's like, the, it's like that, you know, like back in the day with the Marine kissing the woman on the, you know, yeah, from yeah. coming home from war. Just, you don't even know what it is. You just know you've seen it a thousand times. Well, here's, I will admit, bandwagon fan over here. I had no idea it was against the Blues was that shot. Right. I didn't know. Yeah, but I guess, you know who who does know that? Blues fans. Well, you know who knows all of that now? Every single person in sports, because the second that the Blues were in the finals, every Boston sports media reporter got on their computer, Mm -hmm. typed up the headlines, and it's everywhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty wild. It really creates quite a, a mystique around... An other, what could have been an otherwise kind of weird matchup. Um, the Blues were a team that got really hot and ended up in the Stanley Cup out of nowhere. Yeah, amazing. So it's like, yeah, there's. It could have been one of those things where you're like, wait, who were they playing? And instead, it's like, hold on. When you remember that January first, the Blues were in last place in the NHL. So not only that, they were in last. Well, they were last in points, and they were three hundred to one. No way to win the Stanley Cup. So like. Somebody's got, you know, you know, there's like one guy out there that's going to make some insane amount of money because oh, I, he like, I, I, figured I, out whatever. But like, I already saw, wait, I I already saw the betting ticket. Darren Rubel posted it. Did Oh, did, is it, he like bet like $400 and it win like a hundred and something thousand, something, right? Something, I think the ticket, you know, he's going to win, I think 300,000 if I'm not mistaken. Wow. But he has the ticket on this like pick up my bet slip. So you can buy it for like $40,000. Wow. If he's wrong. You don't go from 300 to 1 in January and, you know, last in points in the league to the Stanley Cup Finals. They are, they do really seem like a team of destiny. Oh, for sure. Um, and and there's some other things. There's some other adversity this they've faced that makes them a really interesting team as well. Um, Tell me, Tanya. They are the fifth team in the last 11 seasons to make the Stanley Cup after making a midseason coaching change. Yeah. They fired the coach, hired a new guy. 
And that's like a new theme that's been happening. It happened, like I said, five times in the last 11 years. And prior to that, it had only happened six times in NHL history. For sure. In the middle of the season. So that's happened. Like, it, it, you know, it's just a thing that's starting to, they're starting to figure this out. Yeah. You know, like we make the change early enough and then the team gets their shit together. Yeah. And, you know, uh, three of the four, other four teams that have done this and gone on to the cup have won it. So the Blues have all the, I mean, they have all the momentum in the world. And it's it's kind of crazy because you watch the Bruins and you think the Bruins have all the momentum in the world as well. Like they've had an incredible run. They have a very deep team. They have four really good lines. They have probably the best goaltending in the playoffs so far. And it's like, it's like the team that should win versus the team of destiny. And I'm super, super excited. So if I hear you correctly, you gave me down the stat geek numbers. I did. Are you saying that the Blues are going to win because you're a stat geek? Absolutely not. Never, never, never. I no. just think it. Sets I don't. Up, I, I think it sets up a really cool narrative for for the like these scrappy underdogs that made it all the way and and are not overmatched against you know a team that is probably the in the best spot they've been in since they last went to the Cup, since they lost the Blackhawks in 2013. I've never seen them play like this. Um, and re- I haven't seen them play like this in recent memory. And so I think, you know, who am I? Listen, you know, I'm not going to like give too much details, but you know that I have rooting stakes in the Bruins probably more than I ever have in my life. So I am taking the Bruins all the way, but I think that this is a much more fun and interesting matchup than had it been the Sharks. Tanya's going to get a Bruins tattoo if they win. No, stop it, stop it, stop it. With Johnny B's name on Never, it. never. Um... No, for sure. I completely agree with everything you're saying. And listen, the Bruins are statistically players, coach, as you ran down the roster, front line to back line. They are, they are a much more talented team. They have been dismantling, dismantling teams. I know that their road to the Stanley Cup has been a little easier, a little easier but you still don't sweep people in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's no, nuts. for yeah. sure. And the way that they did was like three to nothing after the first period. And yeah, I will say this. After game seven in the first round, when they beat the Maple Leafs, I knew, and there's always a point when, like, humble Boston brag, you always know, like, the turning point of the season. Or, yeah. like, I knew from that moment that they were going to win the championship. <laughs> That's like the Joe Simmons move. He always does, like, and I remember sitting there and thinking, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. It's like, you don't, you fucking didn't. No, but, but everyone. Yeah, no, I know you actually mean it. Everyone yeah. has that moment when you watch a team win a championship. You know when they're going to... I I knew at that point... I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the podcast or not. But I knew at that point the Bruins were going to win the Stanley Cup. And I stand by that. I I, honestly... I'm predicting a banner. Another one for Boston. It's been so long. We need a banner. I just... I'm in a singing mood this week. And so I'm just going to go with it. But yes, absolutely. 100%. We're going to be raising that bad boy. We're going to be singing, love that dirty water. We're going to be having the fucking parade. I actually might be home if they're having a parade. Well, it's only been about 100 days since the last parade. My question to you, do you think... Do you think that there's still confetti from the Patriot uh, from the Patriots parade? Still I think there's still back? confetti from the Red Sox parade. I love when they roll the duck boats out and there's still confetti that's like stuck to the boats, or just like weird beer beer that's been spilt on the sides and can't see the rest. I think the you think I, Gronkowski's like the dent from people throwing beer cans at Gronkowski is still on the side of the duck boat. Dude, I honestly though I really think that the people who clean the duck boats kind of leave them a little messy after. I mean, why not? Yeah, why not? Why not, like, have the remnants of, of, 
of greatness, of championship greatness, it's while like, you step in, it's your turn to take the torch. It's like when you cook with cast iron and you like leave the stuff in there to soak in the to soak in the flavors. Like the you don't, oil. You don't, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah, like yeah. fully don't wash a cast iron because you got to let all, and then it creates a perfect cooking condition. I yeah. learned that from my father, the chef. Yeah, absolutely. And now, to finish the show, a special celebrity super fan edition of Would You Rather. We're returning to it. It's our second time. In honor of Drake's sideline meltdown the <laughs> other day. Tanya, Drake got so worked up the other night during game four that he actually got up at one point and massaged the shoulders of the Raptors head coach, Nick Nars. Yeah. He's, like, he's the, that was weird. He's so obsessed with the Raptors. It's gotten to a point where he's started to become like a parody of the parody of being a Drake, like the, the insane Drake Raptors fan. It's caused this entire thing this week where basically everybody's like, is he gone too far? Like, is, is there a way to be too into a team? And on that note, would you rather, Tanya, be Drake's date to a Raptors game or have gone to Super Bowl 51 with Mark Wahlberg but had to leave at halftime with him? Like, leaving 28-3 to against the Falcons, not witnessing that comeback, being with Mark Wahlberg, like, living with that for the rest of your life or be with the most annoying celebrity sports fan of all time? So this is actually, like, a pretty big conundrum because I, I feel – I tweeted this the other day – no one gives me more secondhand embarrassment like in the world than Drake. Like he's constantly embarrassing himself. He's way over the top. Like from like his trying to hit on Rihanna to like embarrassing himself on the sidelines of the Raptors game and like acting like he's like he's doing stuff that like players would be fined for doing and he it's it's embarrassing. And on that same token, Mark Wahlberg gets knocks no matter what he does, no matter how hardcore of a fan he is. Everybody brings up the fact that he left halftime of Super Bowl 51 before the greatest comeback in the history of sports. I think that's only because fans just want to point and laugh at Marky Mark, not... Well, and he deserves it, though, because you can't be an out... Uh, you can't be a hardcore fan out there like that, like down on the sidelines and hugging Tom Brady and all these things, and then be the guy that left at halftime. And I, you know, I understand that. I don't take it... I think that there's a lot of people who would have done the same thing. It was pretty brutal. I'm, like, a person who walks out of a room when I'm, like, losing a board game, so... I'm certainly not, I probably would have gone with him, but I don't want that on my conscience that everybody would know. So in this situation, yes, I would just suck up my secondhand embarrassment. I'd, you know, put slap a smile on my face. And maybe if I were there with Drake, I'd be able to like give him the old knee squeeze, like bro, sit the fuck down. And so I think I'm going to, I'm going to take one from my team here and I'm just going to Go to the game with Drake. Oh, God, it hurts. I think I would go to the game with Drake, too, because you'd be sitting courtside, and why not? Speaking of sitting courtside with annoying people, Courtney, your first question is, would you rather have a permanent floor seat to the Knicks next to Spike Lee? So annoying. Or a permanent box seat to the Mets next to Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, that's so easy. What? That's so easy. Jerry what? Seinfeld? I don't... First of all, the Mets went to the World Series like three years ago and had one of the best pitching rotations in all of baseball. Ugh, and so Jerry nice. Seinfeld happens to be one of my favorite comedians. Oh my god! I gotta you say, would. you New York. Uh, listen, I'm a I'm a Jew. I okay, know, I so know. if you want to sit there and you want to kvetch and you want to like kvetch, you know, great stand up comedian, all time asshole. This hot dog, <laughs> it's not that good. Why do they put ketchup in packets? Why can't I just get a whole <laughs> thing of ketchup and relish on my hot dog? He's what is wrong with like that? Like, listen, the I would. Most 
pompous. No, but, you know, I don't care. I would rather go and see a good baseball game. That's true. You are a baseball Than a shitty Knicks game. That's so true. Yeah, that makes... Yeah, between the between the New York Jew and being at baseball, you're right. You'd be in heaven. That would I just basically handed you like a scenario you genuinely want to do. You handed me an absolute layup. And for our next one, Tanya, remember when I made you go drink for drink with John Daly? Boy, do I. Well, we're back at it again. Oh, God. <laughs> would you rather go drink for drink with Vince Vaughn at a Blackhawks game? Or, I already know the answer to that. <laughs> I already know how you're going to respond. Or go puff for puff with Snoop Dogg at a USC football game. So yeah, well we know how we know my issues with marijuana. I I can't smoke can't it. smoke it. I can't smoke it. I no other reason than it just makes me weird and paranoid. No hate, love it. Definitely if I ever had to use it medicinally, I'd be down. However, it's it kind of breaks my heart because I think that Snoop Dogg would be way more fun to hang out with. But there's no way I could handle it. I don't even think I could handle a half a puff of his weed. I'm not on that Willie Nelson Snoop Dogg stuff. Like, I don't think I could handle it. And at the same time, I love hockey. I love live hockey games. I don't know that Vince Vaughn... Vince Vaughn seems like a really rowdy drunk. I think he'd be kind of a lot to work with. He's like six foot eight. He can probably really pound. Like You I, could keep up with him, you though. Think? Are you kidding? You think? I Come mean, on. You and your... I know. Yeah. I know. I, I can Tanya, definitely put him so, back. Tanya's Tanya's mom, we call it the Andy pour. Yeah. She does the Andy pour of wine that's like eight ounces. It's literally to the brim. (laughs) And I, and I, there's no one that loves calling my very, very full glass of wine an Andy pour. I'm like, hey, call your mom. Send her this picture. Yeah, we send her pictures all the time. We are, we're heavy handed sometimes with the liquor. But yeah, I think, first of all, I just would prefer, oh, again, like I'd prefer going to a hockey game. I think that'd be great. But I also like... You know who cares about college football like USC like you, but also yeah all the all yeah. the better to be super duper high yeah well exactly but I mean again I'd rather be drunk at a hockey game so I think I'd do I'd deal with Vince Vaughn I, he's he strikes me as someone who'd be a lot to wrangle at the end of the night but you know deal with that when the time comes well here's the thing too you would probably be too hammered to realize <laughs> what was going on I agree with you I would do Vince Vaughn only also because like. You got to think like, okay, a couple hits, getting high before a concert or like football game or whatever you want to do. If you want a pregame tailgate, Snoop Dogg smokes some of the strongest weed ever. And he's like blunt, blunt, blunt. Yeah, like, no. Like no. one after the other. Like we, we would not be able, we're not on that level. Dude, I, like no one in their right mind can be as twisted to keep up with Snoop Dogg. Just Willie Nelson. It's just, it's just those two and that's it on the planet. And maybe, and maybe Matt Barnes. <laughs> maybe Matt Barnes. All right, for the final one, Courtney. Yes. All right, this is a this is this is an ode to your uh, to your reporting. Yes. This is, this is taking you back. Put yourself in this situation, okay? Okay. Would you rather spend twenty minutes interviewing the truly corny Macklemore and his favorite quarterback Russell Wilson, who's yes. never said an honest, genuine thing in his life? Yeah. Or twenty minutes interviewing Jack Nicholson and Kobe Bryant, both of whom will probably treat you like a piece of shit the whole time. Um, I'm used to being treated like a piece of shit. <laughs> I think that half of the job of a reporter going into a locker room is like putting yourself out there as a punching bag. Yep. I'm going to ask you these questions, especially covering the Patriots. Yeah, exactly. You sit in a press conference, you say, okay, by the book, I have to ask Bill Belichick this question. By the book, I know that he's going to respond this way. Now, whether he likes me or not, he's going to either take it easy on me or he's going to chew my ass out. So, honestly, like, 
I don't really care about people who are just going to be assholes. Like, I don't really want to. It also, too, it makes you work harder as a reporter. Because when they give you one word responses, you have to very quickly come up with a follow-up that, like, digs deeper into the point that you're trying to do. I don't really want to so do a lot of work. So that's, better, so that's better than getting the, like, canned, fake, disingenuous, like, self-righteous responses from Russell Wilson. No, and his, wrong. And his little sidekick, Macklemore, right? No, wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. Because... In television, when you're sitting there and have to write a package, you have to think of a quote, like all the cheese and the smile and the best answers in the world, I don't care how fake you are, those make the best television sound. I don't know. Okay? I, I, I would love grouchy Jack Nicholson and Kobe Bryant myself. I no, think that's hilarious. But I, I get what you're saying, yeah. But it's funny that you brought this up because I've never realized that Russell Wilson is a pretentious, high and mighty little fake baby prick. Yeah, oh my god, he's the worst. I mean... He's the worst. I mean, even his teammates, I mean, you know this, like, even some of his teammates, like, they wouldn't even talk to him. There was all this, like, drama about, basically, like, he was Pete Carroll's teacher's pet, and everybody was like, he's just like a suck-up who says he, and says and does whatever he wants, and then he does all this, like... I mean, listen, you guys heard my sort of distaste for Russell Wilson when we were making fun of his video for oh, serious. last time. Distaste so you know, taking it lightly, Tom. Well, I don't... And, and, and that's not to say, like, I actually think, like, being, like, fake and in the NFL is not is not nearly the worst thing people are in the NFL and by all accounts he's like a decent human being I'm not saying that I just don't love people who can't keep it real that's just it it, it that's all it is so like Kobe Bryant as much of a dick as he is keeps it real so it was just I thought it was an interesting comparison when you said keeping it real the first thing that came to mind when keeping it real goes wrong Chappelle show sketch come on I don't come remember. on no do we have to literally sit here and play the player haters ball for you? Mm. Chappelle, oh God. I don't want to do I need this. To I don't want to keep doing I this. need to sit you down. I've watched Chappelle's show. I just don't fucking remember every goddamn episode. Like I, I remember the the race draft and like John Mayer playing guitar. I remember the, all these things. Those were, those were not even close to being the funniest episodes. Well, I'm just telling you, like I just because I don't remember one episode doesn't mean I'm like... A, this is like what happened to me for like years because I'd never seen Die Hard and every bro on the planet was like, you never seen Die Hard? Yeah, well, you know what I don't like because people are like, oh my God, you've never seen this movie? Like, okay. Comparing like a, like a TV show sketch or like a movie that you haven't seen, a lot of people haven't seen 150 movies in their life. So... There's always gonna be that one, yeah, that you don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I missed out on that, but we can maybe we'll maybe we'll have a little treat at the end of the show. And on that note, we're gonna end the show with a little shout out. I don't know if any of you noticed, but we got some new jams on our intro. We got some sick Cali vibes going on. It's right up our alley. Yes, I have to give a huge thank you to my buddy, my friend, very talented DJ Austin Mills. Made that beat fresh, Tom. Yeah, he totally nailed our vibe. Cali to Boston. Honestly, Tanya, when he asked me what kind of a theme that we wanted to go with, I told him I wanted something just like nothing but a G thing. Yeah, he and that's like exactly the vibe. And he nailed it. Awesome. We love you. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Peace. Bye.